Mike and Diana got to play some games. You better pray to your mama that they're not super lame. And if that all sounds cool, I can tell you the name. It's the R H A P B M B. Mike and Diana got to play some games. You better pray to your mama that they're not super lame. And if that all sounds cool, I can tell you the name. Everybody and welcome to the RHAP B&B for episode 6 of Survivor Island of the Idols. My name is Mike Bloom. I just pulled out the cork from our little 2-liter bottle of soda filled with sand. So we only have so much time to discuss this excellent episode of Survivor 39. First, let me welcome in my co-host here, Liana Boris. Liana, how are you? Oh my gosh, I'm I'm so happy that you already started the timer. We gotta like move things along. Um, that was such a bizarre thing from the island of the idols. Uh, I don't know why that was necessary. Uh, but hopefully we can finish this podcast before our sand runs out. You know, we are both so long winded that that is not going to happen no. whatsoever. <laughs> we'll need several more bottles or like a really <laughs> giant bottle. You know those like giant novelty bottles of like mm. wine that they have at restaurants. Sometimes we need one of those full of sand. All right. We'll- we need the Jeroboam. I believe that's called. <laughs> ah, how do you, Interesting. what is it? It's called a Jeroboam. Jeroboam. It's, it's one of the large containers of champagne, like yeah. the novelty champagne bottle. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Ugh, man, I knew, I knew we brought you on for a reason. Exactly. Our resident wordsmith <laughs> and guest this week, someone who I personally have been leaning forward in anticipation when finding out she was making her return to the BNB. Jessica Lees, welcome back. How's it going? It's going great, you guys. Uh, I got over a little bit of my trauma from being triggered by the reference to a busted can of biscuits because I have to say that's like the most nerve wracking thing in the kitchen is if you have one of those cans of biscuits and you're trying to peel it and peel it and peel it and wait for it to pop. Like I I legitimately like my blood pressure goes way up while I'm waiting for that to happen. It is exceptionally terrifying. <laughs> like, and you're kind of you're kind of turning it and twisting it and then looking away. It's somehow worse than popping a champagne bottle. Like that or a, Jer- me, or a Jeroboam bottle. Or a Jer- yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> no, the, it it is scary. The like busting open those cans of biscuits. Which do you, which do you think is more nerve wracking? Opening up a can of biscuits or waiting to see who the Lyro people were going to cast a vote for? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was also very nerve wracking. Um, probably the busted can of biscuits, though. Not going to lie. It, I, I'm, I'm with Jess on this one. It's terrifying. I can it's ima- way more terrifying than anything that happens on Survivor. Like, that's more tension than anything that has ever happened on Survivor. I can imagine Lauren's like shedding a tear. Jason's like, I'm just praying to the biscuit gods to make me survive this encounter. Uh, well, well, let's get into this season and this episode at large. Let's crack this open and hopefully no biscuit residue shrapnel will come our way. Jess, we haven't gotten your opinion yet as to this very interesting season of Survivor so far. Couched in a really interesting episode. What have your thoughts been so far six episodes in for IOI? Well, I got to be honest. I'm glad I didn't sleep on 39. Mm-hmm. It is very exciting so far. It's almost a little too blindsidey. I feel like every episode I've heard the analysis, you know, like all of us, I listen to many hours of podcasts about Survivor, far exceeding the amount of time I actually spend watching Survivor. And I hear people say, well, this is what I think the edit is pointing to. This is who I think is on the outs. This is who might be in trouble. And then every week it's completely wrong and we completely blow it all out of the water. 
Oh my gosh. I'm actually really happy that you mentioned that. That was going to be one of my, like, a discussion question potentially, but I, I just, it's too, it's too much, man. You know, like, I, I get it. I get wanting to have that blind side and make something crazy and really have something that, you know, oh my gosh, no one was expecting it, you know? But to me, it's just too jarring. <laughs> I don't know if that's because I like can't handle it. I'm, I'm just, I'm a simple woman. I like my stories simple. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know, but it's, it, it is a little too blindside heavy in just in terms of the whiplash I feel like I'm getting from the editing every episode. Well, it's interesting that you say every episode, because I would definitely attribute that remark to this episode. And though, you know, we got some really interesting series of confessionals right before Tribal Council of, you know, Elaine and Missy just sort of going down the firing line of this is why we should keep slash get rid of each member of Vokai. I would say that if you're looking at like a story perspective, Jason's boot is by far the most surprising, even upon looking at it in a rewatch, we really didn't get much outside of like Jason was probably the most visible of the four ex Vokai members, or I guess ex Vokai current Vokai members. So if you thought, okay, who's going to get the boot here? Probably the one who has a little bit of a visibility spike, but I would say, and I tweeted about this as well. You know, I think to that point, the editing style has changed a bit in this season in particular, but particularly like the latter half of the episodes where I think the traditional survivor impetus is, Okay, it could be A, but it also could be B. But we've really now sort of segued into developing more of a short list where now there's sometimes three, in this case, four possible targets going into a tribal council. And I would say, though, this episode, I think, left us a bit wanting in terms of why Jason left. And I'm glad he was able to eliminate on that in some of his exit press. I would personally say the previous five episodes, they at least told a story as to why that person went home. You know, like, I, I, I don't want to do J- David and Jessica's work for them, but, like, I feel like we could reasonably trace a dotted line back to some comments that were made or things that were done earlier in the episode to justify why a Chelsea went or even why a Tom went. Jason's might be the most muddled and might be the biggest uh, downside to this editing choice of sometimes when you're trying to obscure the vision of the viewer so much, uh, they're not able to see a lot of the details. And as a result, yes, you're producing a lot of sizzle when it comes to the big surprise of the moment. And it definitely got that pop. But when you're sitting there eating the steak itself, you're like, okay, uh, I I like the theatrics behind it, but I have no idea what the substance of the actual production was about. Mm, Sizzling like the fajitas at Applebee's. Um, Yeah, I I guess. I, I mean, obviously, you know, reacting immediately to this episode. Because it's the one that just happened, right? So I get, you know, I can see your point about if we went back to the previous episodes, um, you know, being, uh, seeing more of a through line in terms of who went home. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Just like for me, I, I, my alphabet doesn't go that deep. Okay. A and B is fine with me. I don't need the C's and the D's of it all. Uh, that's not a phrase. Um, anyway, but yeah, I, whatever. <laughs> Well, I think they're recalibrating in some ways, and it it might be, I mean, I don't want to get too far down the road and look too far ahead to the future, but we know that a lot of people, the reason that people were telling you not to sleep on 39 is because there's may or may not be something very special in the can for season 40. Hopefully it doesn't bust open. Yeah, hopefully not. I but I think all that pressure is building and building and building, and you, you're just going to keep peeling and peeling and peeling, and you don't know when it's going to pop. But here, I think we're recalibrating. We're maybe 
maybe the editors are looking at like, how deep can we go? How many different stories can we tell at once? Because we know that coming up down the pike, there are a lot of stories mm. that are going to need to be told. And it's going to be a probably a much more subtle game. And we don't have any total duds in the cast. We're not going to have any boring episodes for that. So let's see how much we can get away with telling. Like, how subtle can this be before it feels too subtle? And to that point, Mike, I think... Maybe this episode, we swung a little too hard in the direction of subtle and we mm. didn't get enough there. We told we tried to do too many things at once. So we might see the pendulum go back the other way next week and we might have a very much more straightforward boot. Yeah, that could very much be the case. And yeah, I mean, I know that we uh, I think we have been praising this episode, calling it the best of the season. I would definitely put it up there. Uh, I still absolutely love the entire first half of episode four particularly, but I feel like there was so much in this episode that maybe there wasn't even time to build up why Jason ended up being the target here, you know, between a a reward challenge and immunity challenge, a visit to Island of the Idols, that extremely important and extremely beautiful scene between Jack and Jamal that I'm sure we're going to get into that they certainly not only let expand, but let breathe, which I'm very very happy about i think unfortunately when it comes to that type of format something's gonna have to give and i think unfortunately this episode it was maybe the the actual rationale behind why somebody ended up going home and i don't know if we're gonna see it next time because it really seems like also along the lines of this editing we barely have seen this season like the night uh, night of tribal council you know uh fallout from the vote Usually we just cut to the next day and maybe it's because, you know, the situations have been more cut and dry with all this Lyro stuff. But I'll be very intrigued to see the aftermath from Vokai in many ways. And if they're going to talk about exactly why Jason was the one who got the chop here. Hmm. Yeah, well, he I think if we want to again, we don't want to go down too far down the road of why he lost. But I don't know how interesting that's going to be. It's going to be, oh, you had an advantage and we got he got advantage screwed. Okay. Um, <laughs> people might be mad about that, but they might also be like, well, there's probably not very much we could have done to mitigate that. Mm, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, okay, so, you know, in the reasoning for why Jason was selected, yeah, I think it, it we might uh, see a little bit of that, um, to your point about there just being so much content in this episode, there wasn't time for it, but at the same, you know, in the same moment, it would have been nice to have, you know, one <laughs> confessional about it, um, just to sort of highlight, like, oh, this could potentially be the reason, or, yeah, they're just gonna I go mean, ahead and wait and save it. Technically, you know? we got that, you know, it, it was obscured in the other three Lyro in the Vokai people, but you did have Elaine being like, hey, Jason's extremely smart and strategic. He could be a good option to get rid of as well. But that was sort of hidden amongst all the other Russian roulette, you know, yeah, who could possibly true. be the one taking the bullet. Hmm. Uh, well, again, that's just too much. It was so much. There was so much that happened in this episode. Even just looking back through my notes, I mean, like that them killing a chicken, Nora saying this morning the water tasted like poo. So, so many great moments from this episode. I I like that fact that once again, a uh, Nora for all her talk about like, hey, we need more coconuts. Uh, she cannot keep coconut like out of her mouth. It seems like every time we see her talking with somebody, she has food in her mouth. Uh, which look, we're not at a finishing school. I I think that's totally fine. I just like it's an interesting behavioral tendency. But I, I I like to see that as a sign of like 
she's like, okay, I can trust Dean now, so I'm going to get more intimate with him by complaining about the camp and how the water he's been living with for the past two weeks is has a poo aftertaste to it. <laughs> That's her social game at work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, speaking of Jason, let's get into this. I'm sure we can get into a lot behind this episode as we progress through this podcast, but I, I want to hear, Liana, what you thought about Jason preseason, because I will very much admit that the sense I got from Jason from my interview with him and the outcome I ultimately had for Jason upon leaving Fiji after the first three days are monumentally different. Yeah, the, this is where, this is why, again, I've already won because you have to see the first three days. Um, although, you know, we'll see if that actually helps uh, either of us here. Um, okay, so I had Jason, uh, and again, in in response to your question, what type of soup are you? He said split pea soup. Um, and I had Jason uh, making the jury. So uh, as the only survivor of the failed split pea soup alliance, Jason was able to squeak by till the merge. But unfortunately, that's as far as he made it. He became the consensus boot because he came across as untrustworthy to both sides. His desperate attempts to search for idols the day of tribal certainly didn't help that image. After the vote, Jason made like a pea soup and split. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the other split pea person? I can't remember. Uh, Ronnie, I think. Oh, right. Uh, so maybe they were ha- sharing some nice split pea soup on the trip through Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Free jury. Um, see, I, no surprise, ended up having Jason go pre-jury. Again, like, if you watched episode one on its own, you could understand why. Even when we visited the Vokai camp, like, nobody was talking with Jason. Uh, he exchanged a few words with Dan. But we really saw some physical isolation out there. And Jason said as much in my interview with him that he was even worse, that he would like went down to sit with seven people from his tribe on night one and they didn't say anything. And then someone literally said, well, this is awkward. And he yeah, he just knew immediately that things were not going to go his way. So suffice it to say, I did have Jason making the pre-jury. I did say he might be on the later end of the pre-jury because I had predicted uh, a winning streak for. Vokai, but he still wasn't going to be able to uh, escape that pre-jury curse. I said he'd at least have at least one tearful confessional about the game meaning a lot to him, uh, and I said that he would quote fish at least one time because he was surprisingly the biggest fish head I think I've met in my life. Uh, he said his closest ally would be Nora, and I said his worst enemy would be Dan. Hmm. Hmm. Wait, Nora? Oh, well, yeah, I guess because, uh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because we, we, we had heard that Nora and Jason were on the outs. So I'm like, okay, I guess it makes sense for them to find solace in each other, and it looks like they did. So I mm-hmm. guess that, that prediction ended up bearing out. Just give me your thoughts on Jason, because it was such an up-and-down trip for him over only six episodes. What's your final thoughts on the game of Jason Linden? Well, he seemed like somebody, I think, going into the season without knowing anything about him apart from what we heard in preseason interviews. I really wanted to like him. I wanted to feel like I think the same way that the other tribe saw him, they were, they didn't know what his name was and they were just calling him fishback. Mm. And I wanted there to be a Steven fishback slash Rob Sester Nino kind of super fan, know it all type out there who was good at the game. And kind of played the cerebral game that's always the kind of person i like to root for and i was hoping that would be him but it turned out he was a lot less fishback and from episode one he was a lot more skinny ryan (laughs) huh 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that comparison. I, I mean, my opinion actually on Jason changed um, throughout the season. I think I had that impression too, Jess, at the beginning. But as, you know, I got to see more from him, especially the confessional where he does his impression of his mom. Like, that was really funny. Um, and so I think uh, as a character, he kind of grew on me. It was actually sad to see him go. Um, but uh, but yeah, maybe not as fishbackian as one might assume. Does that make Nora Lil? That's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, I was getting no. heavy Skinny Ryan Lil flashbacks from that first episode. And I mean, they certainly did enough over the next few episodes to separate themselves from that first impression but yeah that first time i was just like oh no oh this is no this is not go well for either of these characters <laughs> oh man at least uh you know i don't think um i don't think nora what's the like nora face i guess i was gonna say she doesn't cry as much but no the, um, well the nora face is like sort of like a ticked off face mm -hmm. uh, i don't know i feel like nora would actually be the exact opposite of lil because lil is so downtrodden and Nora is the exact opposite. She's so motivational. Like, she'd be like, yeah, I lost the hook. Woo! Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, even when, uh, you know, she was very, very clearly on the outs, she was like, nah, it's good, fam. <laughs> dance, dance, dance. Yeah, dance, dance, dance. That's the other thing as well. With Jason gone, now Vokai can dance. You think that's one reason why D Jason left is because they're like, we got to get rid of the guy who's, you know, tamping down on dancing. We... We are wrestlers, we're lyros, we're crazy, fun-loving people. We can't allow a square here to determine, you know, the rules around camp. Yeah. I mean, it's just like the end of Footloose, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that was their inspiration. They were like, we must get rid of him. Yeah, that's they drown John Lithgow in the river, and then they dance on his corpse, literally. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Yeah, well, they revived it. So they went for a more darker uh, aesthetic in the wake of something like The Dark Knight Rises. All right, Jess, let's get into the piece of educational material that you have brought to us, uh, as we've asked our guests to do over the course of the season, about literally anything in the world, even beyond the world. And it is up to Liana to not only digest your information, but see if we can apply it to this game we love so much. What do you have to bring to us at the lectern this week? Um, a piece of educational information. Well, I feel like you guys know so much already. This was really hard. Uh, are you going to teach us about wine bottle sizes? Because well, I feel like I already taught you one thing, but I'm also going to teach you since we're since we're on the topic of the can of biscuits. Um. I don't know if you guys know this particular kitchen tip, but if you if you have peeled the entire label off of the can of biscuits and it hasn't popped, what you do is you take a spoon and you press it. You find the seam and you press it into the seam and then you can separate that inner layer of can from the biscuit and it will eventually pop like the back of the spoon. You take the edge of the spoon and press it. Oh, like, oh, I see. Down next to the seam, and then it should it should finally release the seal if it hasn't yet. Is this also how you open coconuts? <laughs> um, I think you open coconuts. I I feel like I would not be good at opening coconuts. I think I would probably end up opening the coconut by like throwing it really hard against a hard surface. I mean, that's not a terrible way to do it. I think blunt force trauma might be an easy way. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it depends if you sort of like get a good machete in there. You can sort of use it like the spoon to wedge your way in there. I guess it's a good way to just open things in general, right? Because not to get too much into the lost of it all, but we 
I had a question this week as to, you know, how do you open something that is uh, impregnable? And I've heard the tip of like, put a knife or a spoon under the lid and work your way around there. Maybe that's a way to like break into an alliance as well, you know? But Well, I think we've seen that happen before. <laughs> push, push on them with a spoon. <laughs> Sorry, that's all I can think of now is like someone walking around. Just imagine Jamal just like pressing a spoon up against <laughs> Jack. It's like, hmm, is this my way Where's in? Where's he getting a spoon? Uh, Aren't they using like seashells? Yeah, I guess so. I guess they'll have to. Uh, they'll have to improvise on the spoon. No, unless unless he like uh, hit it from uh, out in the Applebee's, you know, brought brought back the spoon specifically so he could wedge himself into uh, unbreakable alliances and be able to open them up so he could drink the innards. This is emergent Ugh. strategy right here. Push on, push on people with spoons. Oh man, can you imagine though if every food was as anxiety inducing as the biscuits? Sorry, that's all I could think about now that we've been talking about this. Or I would have a legitimate eating disorder if that was the case. What if every food required like that time? Okay, what's the most difficult food to to eat? Oh, I guess this is a two part question. What's the most difficult food to eat, or what's the most difficult food to open? Because I feel like those are two different questions. Well, I feel like for the latter, I mean, if you're talking about literally opening, I would go with some sort of shellfish or seafood, considering that, like, the goal of their biology is to not have you get in there. Mm. Yeah, I would go with pomegranates. Oh, pomegranates are so annoying. Okay, I've done the thing where you, like, put it in the water and then the, uh, like, you cut it open and then you can kind of, like, peel the seeds out. That's the easiest way I've found to do it. But then you still need a bowl of water. Yeah, stupid pomegranates. Um, I don't know. You're the worst. And, I mean, at least the shellfish, Mike, they have the thing where after you cook them, the ones that die open or the ones that are good to eat will open and the other ones you can just throw them out. They have like a self-regulating like, thing like that. Right, like a self-selecting thing. That's actually kind of nice. Um, hmm. So are you saying if we encased all foods in pomegranates, we would not have a problem with overeating like American society does today? <laughs> if we encase McDonald's in a pomegranate, I think we've just solved the obesity crisis. Yeah, Pom McDonald's. I'm like opening a pomegranate and just finding like, Instead of the seeds sitting there, it's just a bunch of French fries. Ugh, I I might I might do the work though for the French fries because instead it's a lot of work for pomegranates. Not the pomegranate seeds like aren't good, but it's just a lot of work. Oh god, and they're messy. It turns your hands bright red. It looks like you've been murdering people. Oh my Ooh. gosh, we'll guys, I think over I, here. I figured it out. You know, if we're in this really advantage laden period of Survivor, why don't we put advantages in pomegranate? Because think about it, it takes a lot of work to get open. And when you do, to Jess's point, you're going to have to explain why your hands are beat red when you come back to camp. You're literally caught red-handed. It's really more of a risk-reward situation than I think uh, the people have shown on the actual Island of the Idols itself. (laughs) Yeah, or that could be the next Island of the Idols challenge. Can you imagine Sandra and Boston Rob being like, hey, you got to peel these pomegranates. (laughs) And then Nora's like, yes, I'm going to do it regardless. Whatever. I don't care. I did see a YouTube hack that involves like if you cut around the top of the pomegranate with a knife or I guess a really sharp spoon and then pop the top off, then you can easily like pull out the seeds in sections. Mm. But 
I don't know. That looks like something that I'd have to have the YouTube video open to do. So if Boston Rob asked me to do it, unless he's got his phone with him, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be able to do it in the moment. Mm. I also like this idea, Liana, because I would love this idea of Island of the Idols just getting to a point where they're like, do our chores for us. You know, like almost like a Mr. Miyagi type of thing. Like, I would not be surprised if we come merge and they're like, all right, uh, you're going to have to test your craftsmanship by working on this giant shelter that uh, I've been working on. And if you pass my standards, then you get an idol. Yeah, I like that. You know, they could have them cook, wash their laundry. Um, (laughs) I don't know. What are the other things that they would want them to do? Although, again, like, I'm sure they're so bored out there. They're like, nah, it's fine. We'll just do it ourselves. It'll give us something to do. It was like the time Amazing Race went to Christchurch, New Zealand, and the greeter was Phil's dad. I was sure they were going to have a roadblock that just involved doing yard work for Phil's parents. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that would have been really no funny. that means then phil doesn't get an allowance so you don't want to deprive him of those precious few dollars i will also say on the boston rob shelter i am very much in the minority because i know we have people sort of you know trying to uh look past i guess again the the blurred edit of it all and be like there's no way rob's building that shelter but like i think people undervalue boredom mm-hmm. you know he has literally nothing to do out there he comes from construction he helped build Probably one of the more impressive shelters with that All-Stars uh, Home Depot challenge. I I personally think that this is all Rob is doing day after day with Sandra just sort of like, you know, watching by the Wade side, occasionally making commentary, maybe trying to uh, cat call him, reverse the construction guy situation. Yeah, I, uh, I I think it's probably the truth lies like most things somewhere in the middle, because looking at that ladder, though, do you think he made that ladder? No, I think that I think okay. he very much went to production and was like, hey, can you give me these <laughs> list of things? But I don't think they're like, hey, let's bring in a couple of dream teamers and they'll help. You know, this is my crew. They'll work on this with me. I, I think that Rob is also the type of guy that he would want to work on it by himself, you know? Mm-hmm. I- and think about this. Like, where's Rob going next? Like, he comes off of this show. He goes right back into another season of the show, perhaps. And he's had all this time to practice building shelters yeah that's a that's a great that's a great um uh point because i think um you know i think if you are going to be stuck out on the island of the idols you can want to use your time productively right and so if you have this opportunity to practice now given he probably had uh the supplies that maybe he may not have if he were to let's say play another season um so you know maybe that was the situation but uh but yeah i i mean because what like what day are they at what like they're on they're on like day like 14 through 16 was this episode two weeks with doing pretty much nothing i mean that's you can get a lot done yeah absolutely and I, i think that look if they're getting watermelons and the survivors aren't, they get ladders. You know, I think I think he can get sort of he can ask them to run out to to the Fijian hardware store and get any sort of supplies in terms of hammer and nails. But I trust in the craftsmanship of Raw Mariano, maybe over some. And I think I'm very intrigued to see what this is going to be. You know, we walked in on them actually in the initial stages of building in this building this new shelter when we visited the island of the idols. Like literally, Rob was hacking branches and Sandra was sweeping the area when we went there. So to see it, no matter who's working on it, be a deluxe apartment in the sky is pretty damn remarkable. 
The only problem is, is he was really tearing up that island, uh, you know. So as someone who is very concerned with the deforestation of Fiji, it does worry me a little bit. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I hope he plants some trees to <laughs> repopulate the island. Yeah, I mean, they're spending so much time out there that I'm assuming they planted a tree on day one and it's going to be like fully sprouted into yeah. an idle tree by day 39. An idle tree growing idle pomegranates. <laughs> Well, doesn't production just leave like a huge pile of bamboo there uh, in order to keep people from chopping down all of the trees? That's, I feel like that's something I have read at some point. Yeah, I've heard that they provide bamboo. Uh, I, I assume they would do the same for Sandra and Boston Rob, although that seems weird for them to just be like scattering bamboo for their <laughs> island of the idols people. Uh, listen, again, they have time. They probably ask like, hey, make it a scavenger hunt for us. Put That's bamboo true. all around this island so we can just take the time to go find it. <laughs> that would actually, I, I would love that. I want to, like, I also just kind of want to know what they're up to. You know, I, I, you know, it's like, oh, we don't want to spend too much time on the island of the idols, but maybe we could do more secret scenes uh, that tell us what Boston Rob and Sandra are doing. Um, you know, like when, uh, was it last week when Boston Rob went on the, like, took the raft yeah, out or when whatever? Boston Rob almost got, like, lost at sea. <laughs> Yeah, because they would have allowed that to happen. I want I want more things like that. And they all end with Boston Rob taking someone out in the raft and pushing them off, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or whacking trying- him over the head with a piece of bamboo. <laughs> trying to- and also trying to get as far away from Sandra as possible. So, All right, well, let's get into uh, our first big game here. And you know what? We're six episodes into the season. I feel like we have been watching a lot from these castaways in many regards. So I thought it was time. We bring out the old buff or snuff. So for those of you that might not remember how this works, this is essentially a B&B fashion review of some of these Survivor contestants' clothing choices, or maybe uh, not their own choices, but choices from somebody. And we're either going to give it a buff, a thumbs up, or a snuff, a thumbs down. Now, I have compiled all of today's subjects in a handy-dandy photo album, if you want to follow along, you can go to bit.ly slash buff or snuff 39. Uh, so it's, it, we're going to talk about a lot of clothing. We might talk about some extraneous things as well. But in general, we're going to get into some of the style behind these people because, look, the castaways have been looking at each other for the better part of two weeks. Uh, I'm sure they have thoughts. So we're just going to try to fill in the blanks here. I want to start with uh, the noticeable hat section of it all because there are quite a few which i'm happy about the sun is blistering hot in fiji at that time of year so i'm happy they get at least a little bit of shade as they cast shade towards others and i want to start with the person who was the big central focus of this episode whether she was going to island of the idols or nearly at least from the editing perspective went home had an advantage to use obviously elaine's camo Boston Red Sox cap is top of the head when it comes to iconic survivor fashion choices. Liana, do you buff or snuff the little B camo hat? Well, what is so funny about this is like, she's not from Boston, right? So is she just a fan or did she like know somehow that, you know, Boston Rob was going to be out here on this season? I like, I don't know. Um, Maybe she was just trying to sneak it past production. So it was camo. So she thought that, oh, they'll never know. It was random that she found it in the store. I have no idea. Um, I would love to know the story behind this. Uh, But saying all of that, I would probably give it 
I don't know, a buff. <laughs> I don't feel super strongly. I'm just more like confused about the story behind this for me to evaluate the hat properly. Well, what is, what is your sort of head or hat canon behind why she would make this rich? Because like you said, I mean, uh, she's south of the Mason-Dixon line, I think. Uh, I don't know exactly if she's a, a big Boston Red Sox fan. Yeah, right. Exactly. It seems very odd. Also, it seems uh, it seems pre-frayed. Or do you, do we think that that mm. fray is real? So like the brim of the hat looks worn, which the like pre-stressed clothes, uh, you know, is a thing. Actually, quick tangent. There is a competitor on the challenge this season who has these shirts who have like holes in them. It's Ugh. like clearly pre-frayed. Oh my god, I want to sew up those holes so badly. I just like or uh, it really really bothers me. So uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe I'll snuff it because of the, the fraying. <laughs> I don't know, Jess, are you becoming as afraid about this hat as Liana is? Well, I'm not afraid to share my opinion here. Um, I First of all, I don't think this constitutes a noticeable hat because it's camouflage. I guess that's true. Who's it's even going to see it? Yeah, it should be. Uh, if it's working correctly, it is the opposite of noticeable. And I think that might be that might speak to why someone south of the Mason-Dixon line is able to get away with wearing a Boston Red Sox hat because it's camouflaged. Nobody looks too hard at it. It's just like, oh, it's a camo hat. Lots of people wear camo, whatever. And they don't notice the beat. Hmm. So it's kind of stealthy. And I guess I like it for that reason. And I, in my head, I think she 100% owns a Boston Red Sox hat because not because she is a Boston Red Sox fan, but because she is a fan of somebody we know wears a little bee hat. It is not out of the realm of possibility someone goes on this show as a Boston Rob super fan, regardless of whether or not they know Boston Rob's really going to be there. Mm, so we mm. think this is an homage. <laughs> this is a this is an homage. That's that's how I interpret well, it. Well, she, much like Nora, when she got to the Island of the Idols, did say, I know who you are. <laughs> so she knows Boston Rob. Yeah, though, she, though Sandra was her hero, but maybe Boston Rob is like above the level of hero. Maybe he's like a god to her and she's like maybe she's almost like part of his religion and this is like her yamaka you know <laughs> yes well totally <laughs> or, or you know sandra doesn't have she has a noticeable hat but it's not an iconic hat mm. like if you just go around with like one of those little green army caps and you're in the survivor universe i don't know how many people are going to say oh you're wearing this andrew diaz twine hat where you wear a little bee hat everybody knows what that is do you think more survivor contestants should wear pieces that are homages to other contestants i think they should do it subtly i think it should be like you shouldn't know 100 percent. like i'm trying to think oh here's a good example you should wear a little yellow cardigan with a duck sewn on it and it's your homage to ashley from survivor samoa <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think of what other good things that you could do that would be homages to people you know who has something that is iconic uh or maybe not so iconic um hey, deep poles yeah. i want the deeper the better that's my deep pull <laughs> deep um, yeah that, that's really like you're not a true super fan unless you uh mimic clothing from random survivor guatemala contestant brian corridan and you know do that as a, a bit of a call out to him I'm going to buff this purely because through talking it through, Jess, you made me realize that Elaine's hat is literally the hat child of Boston Robin Sandra. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> you just blew my mind. I'm buffing it as well, then. Little B for buff. It's amazing. Ugh. See, she, like, Elaine's just so smart. She was able to see into the future. That's so Elaine. 
<laughs> or did production give her this hat? Like, you know, production sometimes gives you clothing like they gave Cochran a sweater vest and they decided because they decided everything he brought was not cool enough. <laughs> They're like, you have to be a bigger dork. So you wear this sweater vest. Maybe they just gave this to Elaine or like, look, trust us. You're going to want to wear this hat. It make a lot of sense about like three weeks in if you make it that far. Yeah, Elaine was the chosen one. All right. She's been anointed. Yes. Well, let's move on here to noticeable hat number two. And this one's a lot more noticeable. In fact, we even talked oh, about dear. this on the podcast before. Jess, buffer snuff Tommy's big straw hat. What even is this hat? <laughs> it, it, like, whose head is it for? Like, Tommy looks like he's got a pretty big head and he's got a buff on his head and the hat is still too big for him. Like, what kind of giant-ass head is supposed to be wearing this hat? Is this, did they steal it off of one of the Easter Island statues? Like, Yeah, actually, this was supposed to be on Sandra's statue, but they said, you know what, no, well, we should give it to a contestant. They're they're dying in the sun right now. Take this hat. Well, they looked at Tommy, and he's, mm-hmm. uh, they're like, oh, he's a ginger. He's gonna burn really badly if we don't give him a big hat. So, we'll just steal it off the top of the Sandra statue and give it to him. Yeah, I, I, 100% believe that's what happened here. I love this hat so much because it's so ridiculous. It's like 10 feet tall, perched on top of his head, diameter 10 feet wide. Like he's just out here in this giant ass straw hat. It's so funny. And I love the way it just like perches on top of his head and makes him, you know, like three feet taller. Um, I definitely buff this one. I think it's amazing. I really want somebody to Photoshop this hat onto the face of him really mad at the end of Tribal Council. Because, like, (laughs) if you really, like, want to take him less seriously, just put him in this big hat. Yeah, right. You really can't take him seriously with this hat on. He just looks so ridiculous. Um, Yeah, exactly. Who is this hat for? Ugh, it's, It's so great, though. I love it. The only way this hat gets more ridiculous is if it turns out to be the novelty cowboy hat that Norm MacDonald wears yes. as Burt Reynolds on Celebrity Jeopardy. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, uh, got, a big, got a big straw hat. Funny. <laughs> All right, oh. let's move on here to noticeable hat number three, another Vokai hat. We haven't seen this one around a lot, but Liana, buffer snuff Kelly's black sun hat. Okay, so that's what I maybe am confused about, whether or not it's a sun hat. It just looks like some sort of like uh, felt hat from, you know, I don't know, the 50s. It just doesn't seem like it's really a sun hat. Or maybe I'm just confused about the material. So it's sort of this like uh, dome shape on top. And then there's a brim, but the brim is very floppy. So it doesn't seem to have a lot of structural integrity. I don't know where she got this or why she has it. It seems like an odd choice for Survivor. Yeah, just where do you think? This is another production hat. Uh, hmm. Well, they didn't like Kelly as much. (laughs) Do you think production? Do you think production has like a costume shop, like a community theater? And they're like, well, uh, we had this from our uh, production of Ain't Misbehaving. Sure, I'll throw this on. Go ahead, Kelly, wear this hat. It's more like they have a lost and found box, (laughs) and they're like, someone discarded this hat. We're not really sure who, but. why don't you wear it, Kelly? Yeah, here, you can have this really ugly hat. I mean, it, it was very noticeable to me. So I think it fulfills that criteria. I just, doesn't it look like it's made out of felt? Do you mean like felt like, I, I guess I'm thinking of like, uh, you know, I live near medieval times and they often give out like those Robin Hood hats. They're, they're not made from felt, but they're made from like a heavier material. Yeah. Like that's what this yeah, sort of reminds tough. me of. Is that felt? Yeah, that's like felt. wool felt. Right? Welt. 
what? <laughs> yeah, that's what that's there's what different gradations of. of felt. I feel like there is like the wool felt is kind of the most durable, expensive stuff that you might actually make a hat out of. And then there's like the stuff that you get for the arts and crafts mm. tent at your summer camp. And that's what I feel like this is made out of. OK, yeah, yeah I'm good. I'm going to snuff this one because it, I guess, uh, you know, the choice of color is not great as well, because wearing a black hat just makes me feel like she's consistently attending somebody's funeral. <laughs> and you don't want to give off that image in a game where you're trying to eliminate people. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Like uh, she's signing your death warrant. Right. It's very intimidating. Um, also, I did Google felt hats and there is one. Women's foldable wide brim felt bowler fedora floppy wool hat, which looks very much like her hat. So, wow, um, that is SEO friendly. I'm also very confused because you put at least two different types of hats within this name of the same hat. <laughs> this is like neither of which is this yeah, hat. Well, this is like someone just uh, like dropped a bunch of words on the ground and was like, oh, okay, that's fine. We'll just go with all of these. Yeah, or like, had a thesaurus uh, hat, handy. felt, fedora, puppy, uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Warren, Google. Yeah, it's a foldable wide brim felt bowler fedora floppy wool hat. <laughs> oh, it's absurd. It's like they missed Derby. Yeah, which is really more what it is. Um, but anyway, yes. <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to snuff this because it's the one that's most shaped like the snuffer. Oh, yeah, it does that's true. Like that. Oh, do you think maybe if Kelly gets voted out, Jeff can use it as a snuffer? <laughs> be like we're gonna use your hat instead yeah use your- if something happens it's like in the wings it's waiting in the wings it's the understudy to the snuffer like jeff accidentally drops the snuffer and breaks it they're like okay kelly give us your hat um, like, i love the under snuffer this idea of like crap what do we use if this is missing uh somebody's hat <laughs> yeah that's their back yeah, otherwise plan. he just had to stand there and blow on it <laughs> like a birthday candle funnier. yeah oh man can you imagine if you had a you know those they have those trick candles if you had a trick torch <laughs> you'd be like well, that happened to nora's predecessor lil remember <laughs> oh that's right yes oh yeah she's oh, the biggest trickster there is before we move on to more fun and games we're going to take a quick break to listen to a word from our sponsors this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And we are back, so let's keep on keeping on. Uh, let's move from the north side of the body down south, the deep south. After its introduction oh in last episode, Jess, we gotta talk about Aaron's kid socks. Are you buffing or snuffing these? Uh, well, they inspired one of the wand-off moments that made me laugh, I think, the hardest of all. Mm. I'm walking to work and this comes up and I had to stop and like lean against a wall because I was laughing too hard at um, the kid on the socks, uh, which (laughs) it was epic. Um, And I'm going to buff this because this is 100% outside of the box thinking this is like in the early seasons of Survivor, sometimes they would let you and I believe Sandra did this. They would let you have a t-shirt with photos of your family on it so that you could have family photos with you and they've really cracked down on that kind of thing so i think having socks made with your child's face on it 
is an opportunity to kind of circumvent that in a new and creative way. And I know that after this season, Survivor's not going to let people do that anymore. Do you think he... Do you think he told them like, oh, this is my kid? Or do you think it was like, oh, yeah, it's just because it's like a cartoon face kind of like it, it's not like, um, you know how you can I, like, like the iron on pictures where it actually looks like it's a photo, right? This just looks like some sort of weird cartoon face or maybe I don't know. Maybe it's just uh, the picture. That's what Aaron was like. Oh, this is my favorite little rascal that I put on a sock. <laughs> like, Yeah, I have socks with a rando kid's face. Sure. I just thought they looked cool. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. not weird. Yeah, the producers are going to be looking back into the background checks after that statement of like, okay, how did this guy make it through again? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's so bizarre. They're very odd. And it's like just the head, too. They're kind of weird. I mean, I like them. I'll probably buff them. But uh, but the eyes are also very creepy. Um, it's very terrifying. About, well, you distort them to stretch the socks. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's also true. Because once you put it on your foot, right, you know, it's all like stretched out. It feels kind of weird to be walking around on your kid's face, too. Well, are they on the bottom of the sock? Do we know? Mm. Kind of looks like it goes around the whole thing. Um, Like it's a pattern all over. But yeah, that'll be a good question. Mike, can you ask that in the exit interview? Yeah, Yeah, that'll be the first (laughs) thing I ask Aaron is. uh, So you got the you got your kid's face on your feet, buddy, on the bottom of your foot. Because what do you feel about stepping on your kid's face every time you killed it in those challenges? Yeah, exactly. What do, what do we think about the choice of purple? I think that's probably the most intriguing part of me, of, of my thinking behind this. Because, I mean, purple in itself is an odd sock color. Throw the kid's face on top of that. Is that just, like, only marginally adding to the weirdness of it? Maybe his son's favorite color is purple. And there's some sort of reasoning behind it. Um I'm still more thrown off by the disembodied floating heads on the socks. So uh, the color didn't really bother me. Does this get creepier if it's an adult person's head on the socks or is it especially creepy because it is a child? That's a good point. I think it's creepy regardless. Okay. So the creepiness does not mitigate based on age. So like if his son was like 12, that would be less creepy. How old is his son? I think he's like, uh, I think he's like five. I want to say what he told hmm. me. I don't remember. But like, if it, like if, if he had a grown son, like a twenty-two-year-old, you know, is no, that, that would be no. I actually think that would be creepier. <laughs> I think it's much creepier to have a picture of your twenty-two-year-old son on your sock. <laughs> you know what? I think I'm gonna get my mom for Christmas socks with my face on it. <laughs> Oh, it's a terrible. I, I I endorse this 100. percent Oh my god, where do we think he got those? Uh, uh. I feel like Facebook targets people with kids with these kinds of ads mm-hmm. all the time. I feel like I myself have seen an ad for this company many times on Facebook because Facebook knows I have a child. Facebook is like, I think you want to put your child's likeness on every single thing you own, <laughs> which of course you do, right? Look, my kid's adorable. Of course yeah, I do. Absolutely. I'm So I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to buff this one also for the utility of it all in that now he literally has eyes everywhere. So long as he's like not wearing pants or he has capris on or something, you know, he's got like 360 all around seeing what people are doing and knowing how paranoid and flippant Aaron can be. I feel like that's appropriate. Yeah, I think so, too. Um Okay, so I found a company, facesocks.com, which I think is aptly named. So, all right, uh, good. I've already done my Christmas shopping. Sounds good. Would you get it on some some nice felt socks for your mom? 
Oh, felt sock. Yeah, uh, felt sock, foot covers, Google, <laughs> whatever the long description was. Sandals, espadrilles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Slippers. Yeah. Moccasins. Well, we're not leaving Aaron just yet, because Jess, you are our resident tattoo expert, expert here on the RHAP panel. So we have to take advantage of the opportunity here, much like Elaine did in this episode. I want to hear all your thoughts about Aaron's tattoos. Um, yeah, this was interesting, Mike, because you sent me this link prior to the episode airing. And I was like, what is the deal with the picture of Aaron not wearing clothes? Like, what am I supposed to talk about here? And I correctly surmised that we were talking about tattoos. And um, honestly, I am hesitant to really savage someone for their choice of body modification just because I understand that frequently when somebody is tattooed, it's probably something that is deeply personal to them. And there's probably a story behind it. That being said, this is the 90s called and they want their tribal tattoo back. <laughs> this is not a good look anymore. It's very dated and it's not it doesn't say anything about Aaron except that he fell victim to one of the great tattoo fads right around the time it became legal in every state to get tattooed. He's like, oh yeah, I'm going to get that thing. It's like the only thing more dated is if you had the barbed wire going around your bicep. Mm. I feel like tribal tattoos are just one step down from that. Um, that's my thought on the first one. And the second one, I can't really tell what the other one says. I think it says something only God can and I know a popular way to complete that phrase is judge me, mm. uh, which feels very defensive. It's sort of like, was somebody judging you or are you just assuming that somebody's going to be? And if they are, is this about your tattoo or is it about something else you did? Do you think that after he ended up betraying all those vocais, Aaron just flashes his right arm to Tommy to be like, ah. You should have trusted the tattoo. I had it, I had it pegged all along. Like, shut people down. Like, see? <laughs> um, I think what's really funny is, like, the order of priorities. Okay, so we're going to get a tribal tat, but we're only going to put my son's face on my socks. Like, the kid is not <laughs> special enough to get a tattoo slot yet. Like, let's just hold off on this one. Socks is fine, but permanently on my body? No, nah, thanks. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know that um, it depends on how you want to pay tribute, like getting your kid's name, maybe. But if he was going to go like full portrait tattoo, those can go so wrong, so hard. And I think anybody that's ever seen Ink Master knows what I'm talking about. But maybe he's just waiting because children's faces are really hard to commemorate in a portrait tattoo. So maybe he's just waiting for his kid to hit puberty and get out of the awkward phase and be attractive enough to be on his body in a tattoo. Okay, okay so it- the rule is <laughs> when it comes to 22 year old children. No on socks, yes on body. <laughs> yes. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Is it weirder to have your four-year-old's face tattooed or your 22-year-old's face tattooed on your body? I feel like maybe it just goes the other way. Like, yeah. maybe you should only ever get ancestor portraits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God. That would be so cool. We definitely have some old-timey photos of, like, our ancestors from way back. I should get that tattooed on myself. That would be hilarious. Yeah, just do not cheap out on that. Like, this is, if you're getting a portrait of anybody, make sure you go to the best artist possible and pay top dollar for it. Do not get a (laughs) bargain basement portrait tattoo. That's 
I'm, that's my free advice for the day. Yeah, it's gonna be like the equivalent of like when they ask those painters to like redo the Mona Lisa. You'll get essentially that in a tattoo form. <laughs> oh my! God. You're gonna get that woman that yeah. painted over the Jesus in Spain. Yes. Oh my God. Uh, my my family. We have a family group chat, and every once in a while, somebody will just send that picture because it's <laughs> so bad. It's so maybe so you should bad. get a tattoo of it then, if it's so meaningful for your family. I know we should all get matching family tattoos. Oh well, I'll just put it on socks. I think that that's probably a safer place to start. Angela has been yeah. really trying to get me to buy into because she just got her third tattoo. She's an absolute badass. Uh, and she's been really trying to get me to buy into like a Bloom family tattoo. Maybe we'll get it one day when our son is 22. Uh, I, yeah, take him take him out for his 18th birthday and all get the same tattoo. I, I've already made the appointment for that for my kid. What, what would it be, Mike? Are you guys going to create like a little seal, like a family seal? And it's probably gonna be like a literal seal knowing us just like put a seal i don't know my mom and sister got tattoos of giraffes uh on them for some strange reason so it would not be outside of the bloom family to get some sort of random animal animal tattooed on us <laughs> um i have a random animal tattooed on me so i endorse this fully ah see there we go um yeah a loose seal <laughs> do you think aaron should have like because the tribal tattoos, it's almost maze-like in its shape. Like, do you think he could hide phrases or words in there to sort of double down on the, the whole design of it all? I think that's a thing that is frequently done. But I, I now I'm looking at it, looking for that kind of thing, and I'm not seeing it. I would do it with words I can't spell. Because, like, broccoli. What, so you just, like, a, so it's like a crib sheet? Yeah. So you just look at it and it's like, oh, accommodate. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Two oh, M's, yeah. two C's. Yeah, exactly. two R's and two S's in Embarrass. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that could be useful. And then if you ever go on Big Brother and you have the competition where you have to spell stuff, you're like, oh, look, words already spelled out for me. A myriad to choose from. Um, and then you know that you spelled it correctly. Oh, look, there's anal lice. <laughs> yes. No anal lice or technotronics for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say I'm going to snuff these tattoos unless unless that tribal tat is an homage to Tony Vlachos. Mm. So maybe is that one step beyond Elaine's hat? Is that if you get a tattoo, that's an homage to a Survivor contestant? Yeah. What if you show up with like a Boston Rob portrait tattoo? <laughs> My gosh. I actually, I only know one person who has a survivor themed tattoo. Yeah. And it's like a full sleeve of incorporating the cover of the first survivor book, like that logo treatment. It, it's very cool. Looking. It's awesome. But um, that being said, he, he was also very smart to not get a survivor contestant's face tattooed for that reason you mentioned. Before. Right. And you never know. Like, what if I would never get a tattoo of portrait of a living person, especially a famous person, because you never know who's going to get canceled later yeah. on. Like, what if you got a Michael Scoopin portrait tattoo? That be that would not age well. Yes, all the people out there with the Scoopin tattoos. Um, yeah, that's a good point. You never know who's going to get canceled, so it's best to just avoid people. Um, yeah, and small children in general. Yeah, in general, in life, you don't know, you don't know if they'll grow up to be canceled, so you might as well like just try to avoid it as much as possible. Yeah, the socks you can burn, right? You know, but a tattoo, that's, true. that's expensive well, to get removed. Speaking of that, I actually want to move into something that one of our listeners pointed out, which I did not notice whatsoever. Elizabeth apparently has some like tutti fruity wackadoo socks. Liana, what, what are you thinking about these socks? Buffer snuff. Okay, I love them so much. I definitely buff them. As someone who also likes knee-high socks in crazy colors, in fact, right now I am wearing knee-high socks 
with little green hearts and some like little blue hearts all over them. Um, so I am very much in support of these. They're like this flowery patterns um, with these like thick green stripes at the top. They may have buttons on them, perhaps. I thought at first they were maybe compression socks, mm-hmm. um, which also then is functional. Also, I love in this photo, you can see Aaron's uh, socks with his kid's face. Oh, you <laughs> can! The background. Just a little, little sneaky, uh, yeah. sneaky cameo from the kid socks. So, uh, so yeah, there's no faces on these socks, which I appreciate. Um, so, yeah, buff, buff for sure. If you want to hide some misspelled words into this crazy design, I feel like that would be that would be something you could do there too. Yes. It's definitely a choice. <laughs> I think what you could do to prevent boredom out there is you get like a highlights magazine spread and put it on your socks of like spot the difference between the two socks because you'll have people going for hours at that rate. Oh, that's a good yeah, that's a good idea. Um, <laughs> not- or you just get two identical socks and you tell people there are differences. Yes, that I'd probably take more time. Yeah, that's a better idea than putting Goofus and Gallant on your socks. <laughs> that was my first thing that popped into my head when you said Highlights Magazine. Well, um, you know what Gallant always said? Only God can judge me. The, I believe it was Gallant from Goofus and Gallant who once said, Goofus pays top dollar. <laughs> Goof, Goofus goes and gets tribal tats. Gallant pays top dollar for high quality body art. <laughs> I'm sure. I haven't read highlights in a long time, but that sounds just like one of those. Uh, Liana, that shows the last time you went to the dentist. I know, for real. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, Mike, you're allowed to go to a grown-up dentist now. You're old enough. Uh, I don't know. State of healthcare in America today. I, I still want to reside within the comfort of a pediatric dentist. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I mean, I want to buff this as well, though I'm also intrigued by these buttons because I'm not entirely sure why they're there. Well, that's why I thought they were compression socks at first, but then, yeah, the buttons threw me off. I was like, why would a compression sock have buttons? Like, what do you button it to? Do you connect them to your garters? You know what? Actually, I have knee-high socks with buttons on them. I don't know the purpose. Uh, And I'm like, do I put the buttons on the outside or the inside? Like, do I want people to see the buttons or am I trying to sort of like, like, what if I need to hook them together? There's nothing to hook onto. Um, I I don't know what function they serve. A button and buttonhole serves to keep socks together in the laundry. Oh, my gosh. Or even when you just put them in your drawer, then you don't have to do the thing where you, like, roll over them. You can actually button them together and fold them. Mike, this is a great idea. Wow. So Elizabeth could legitimately go to Elaine and be like, look, I'm going to help you find that advantage at the challenge. Like, I'm going to stick on you like this sock sticks onto the other one with the buttons. Yes, that's exactly what she would say. <laughs> As we all know, uh, Elizabeth Basil, prolific TV character. I want to move on. Just can you give me your thoughts here on, I'll just flat out say it, Missy's pothead poncho? Yes, her drug <laughs> rug. <laughs> this really doesn't seem on brand for Missy. <laughs> like, what do we know about Missy? She was in the military. She was an athlete. And she's choosing to disrespect her body that is her temple by putting this on it. Like, I, uh, like production must have pulled this out of the Lost and Found. Fabio probably left it out in Nicaragua. And it's been sitting in the Lost and Found box since then. And they're like, oh, you're cold? Well, you could wear this. And you could tell the look on Missy's face. She is not comfortable in this thing. And I'm not comfortable looking at it either. Yeah, definitely an homage to Fabio here if we're talking about that. Um, okay, so I know it's a stereotype. 
But all the stoners I knew in college had these. Okay. So like there's something to it. I don't know why, but like that's definitely the case. But like we've even seen it on Survivor. Like remember Seabass had one of these. I'm pretty sure Ozzy wore something like this after he got voted out in Micronesia. And to your point, Jess, though, Missy uh, admittedly, you know, does come from a hardened military background. She did tell me that like, She made a big list after her cancer scare of things she wanted to do with her life. Being on Survivor was one of them. Another one was to try pot for the first time. And so she uh, she really got into that. And I could imagine that maybe if she collects like little totems from the various activities that she's done, that's something that she gleaned from that and decided to bring on to Survivor. Or was it just a slippery slope? Like, is, is this is what they told us in Dare something that we need to really take to heart because like you do pot once and then all of a sudden you have to wear one of those things yeah, she's- <laughs> i feel like that would scare people off of trying it she's got a drug rug she's got a poster of bob marley um little like pot earrings um like leaf earrings um yeah maybe that's more of a everything you own is now made out of him <laughs> yeah there was there cbd was- oil there was this one moment in the episode which i don't know if you guys found weird, but i certainly did when elizabeth and elaine go to missing Aaron and tell them about the block of vote. And I don't know if it was that they didn't understand the circumstances of it or that they realized their plan to flip was going astray, but like they were not surprisingly not very happy about it initially. Like Missy's just standing there like, okay, okay, okay. It could be possible that maybe there was some sort of contraband inside this poncho and she was partaking a bit before tribal council and got ambushed with this news right beforehand. (laughs) Oh, we're not resurrecting these rumors. We heard enough about Mike White. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think uh, that's the case here. But um, but yeah, that was very odd. It was like, do, do you understand what this means? I think probably because they were so ready to flip. It was like, ah, crap. Now we have to reevaluate. Um, but to be fair, Elaine did approach Aaron before saying anything just says, do you love me? Which is like, a, it's a weird like take on Titanic, I guess. Uh, I'm going to start doing that. Do you love me? Um, It's better to just straight up ask, um, especially if you need something. Uh, Yeah. Okay. I snuff this. Ooh, I I buff it personally. I think, I think if she wants to come across as like calm, cool and collected, I think this is the perfect way to do it without coming across as threatening. Like we saw, she wasn't wearing this in episode four and that's when she was probably at her most power hungry. And now she's just a different type of hungry. You know, it's also been discussed, uh, like, okay, if you're someone like a Nora or a Karishma that comes across as, like, kind of crazy, right, you, um, uh, you are seeing a tendency to keep people like that around because it's like, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're crazy. They'll be a great goat, whatever. We'll take them as, you know, as this extra vote. So what would be the piece of clothing you would wear if you wanted to give off that persona? Not the calm, cool, collected, but the, like, I'm insane, keep me as a goat. Uh, kids on your socks. Yes, kids, kids on your socks. Um, really, I mean, you know, kid like photos of your or like pictures of your kid's face on anything. Um, could be like a spaghetti strainer on your head. Um, <laughs> something, something just like. Well, that's religious headgear. That's true. The flying spaghetti <laughs> for pastafari. Yeah. You, um, yes. you could instead of wearing a shirt, color on your uh, chest with like a red marker, and you're like, "This is my red shirt." I think that would really send a signal. <laughs> That would send some kind of signal. I think I think somebody's face on your socks that is not your kid. Mm. Like some like a world leader, maybe. 
or <laughs> like this is Boutros Boutros Golly on my socks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a nice Emmanuel Macron on my socks here. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That would be so funny. Oh my gosh. Oh, you could go, you could make a whole line. You could have like your dictator line. So, you know, you got like your Momar Gaddafi's over here. Um, that would be, can you even imagine? Oh my gosh. Uh, put this up there with whatever the brilliant idea Mike had about the buttons with the socks. Uh, let's, uh, let's, we open a well, store. Well, you could have little buttons like, put them on your Gaddafi socks. Like, put the buttons and like have them shaped like little military oh, medals. That's so cute. <laughs> All right, let's let's we have intellectual property on that. Nobody nobody patented that. We've already got dibs on it. Let, let's talk about some more outerwear here. Jess, I talked about this last week. How much I love Detective Dean. What do you think about Detective Dean's cardigan in particular? We're going to get into a bit of Dean here, but is this a good look for Dean personally? You know, honestly, I can never be mad at a cardigan. I'm a big fan of the cardigan. It's like it's like a sweater, but you don't have to commit to it. <laughs> Um, you don't have to pull it over your head and mess up your hair. There's so much to be said about the cardigans. But that being said, he looks like he's wearing his mom's clothes. <laughs> like nothing he's wearing in this picture fits him. And it's all like it's it's all like 50 year old lady clothes. This is like 50 year old lady going camping to look at birds. <laughs> Bird watching. It's a very specific aesthetic. And I'm not sure. Like, it almost looks like his head's been photoshopped onto some 50 year old woman's body. Oh, man. And look at me over here being like, I think he looks super stylish. <laughs> so maybe that just goes to show I dress like a 50 year old woman going bird watching. Um, I really like it. <laughs> I would buff it. Um, I love the olive green color. Um, I think uh, I think Dean looks super professional here um i i'm i'm here for it i mean i guess if he needs to like take on another identity and he needs some sort of totem i don't know maybe detective dean is not like a hardened sam spade type like we thought maybe he is like a more of a murder she wrote of like an older angela lansbury type and that's where the cardigan comes in handy (laughs) yeah i think that makes that that makes way more sense let's go with that well mike you just sold it to me because i was I was about to say I'm not hiring him to solve my case, but if he's if he's rocking some Jessica Fletcher realness, I changed my mind. He can totally come and solve my murders. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, murder she wrote. <laughs> More like murder he solved as Detective Dean. Um, yeah, except, I'm here except for it. murder he, murder Dean wrote would be more like. Okay, well, I know I didn't do it. Credits. <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> Chel- the person who's dead didn't do it. Right? Like, They're eating Oreos. Yeah. Our, yeah, so I, I buff this as well, if only for the Jessica Fletcher comparisons. And also because I feel like we rarely see like cardigans out there. We obviously had the big jacket fiasco, but I do love a good cardigan. I agree with Jess. It's like, this is fall time. With all these intermediate varying temperatures, it's the perfect thing to have on to either take off or put on, depending on the climate. I'm very excited to talk about this next Dean thing, because I had no knowledge of this, but now that this was pointed out to me, I can't unsee it. Liana, Dean apparently brought with him a pair of really nice Nike sneakers that he has not worn once on the island 
what the hell is going on here? Okay, first of all, I'd like to point out in this picture that you chose, Mike, you can also see Aaron's socks with this <laughs> kid's face on them. Okay, so I'm on Aaron's sock watch. Um, yes, this is absolutely insane. So he has a pair of like running tennis shoes and then he just has this pair of like super fresh Nikes that are just so casually draped in the front so you can see them full on display to the side, Nike logo out i don't know who he's sending an homage to here just that he's super stylish and has brand new nikes i really don't know because yeah we have not seen him wear these once yet he prominently displays them every time they're uh they're on the mat with jeff probst i'm just so confused. why is he allowed to have these yeah i don't know why he's allowed to bring a second pair of shoes if he's not gonna wear them that's well, no, that's why he's allowed to bring another pair of shoes. They're his like his uh, luxury item. <laughs> like, OK, but you can't wear them. Maybe he told him it was a necklace. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I really don't know. Maybe he's saving them for later. <laughs> like, is, it, is this going to be like his final tribal look? Is he going to wear these Nikes? That's what he's been waiting 39 days for. His Nike is his cardigan. <laughs> he's going to be looking super fly. Um, yeah, I don't know. I And like no one else. So then I started looking for like, oh, maybe other people have other shoes that they're like carrying around. Like, no, it just seems to be Dean with his super bright, fresh Nikes. But like you, you bring anything <laughs> out there. Like, you expect it to get dirty. You're going to bring it out there into the wilderness for a month and change. Why do you, like, bring these fresh Nikes out there, assumingly only to display them, knowing that they're going to get so dirty at some point, even if they're just sitting around? Unless he's, like, religiously cleaning them each and every day. Maybe they're made out of that material that Lauren Rimmer's hat was made out of, right? That was the white one that just, like, never got hmm. dirty. Um, so, yeah, maybe these are made out of the same material. Uh, I don't know. I, I like why. Uh, this is, again, when you have the interview, Mike, this is one of the top questions that must be asked. Also, everyone knows that the best pairing with the kind of outfit he's rocking in the picture above that, he's going to need a nice pair of clogs. <laughs> yeah, he needs to wear, bring some Crocs to the island. Jess, what do you think the chances are that Dean uses his shoes as a negotiation chip at some point? Oh, sort of like Natalie's jacket? Yeah, exactly. Dean, can I have your shoes? <laughs> Dean. Listen, I mean, Dean, they're re they're Dean. really nice shoes. So maybe he is planning to use them as like, you know, look, he's on the bottom of New Lyro. Maybe we'll see next episode. He's like, look, Nora, you could get rid of me, but then I can't give you my Nikes. <laughs> they like the legacy advantage. You're going to vote out Dean to get his shoes. <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous. I don't know why he has these. I know I'm on, I'm on Nike watch though for the rest of the season because I'm so intrigued as to where these like reside at camp. Is he bringing them to tribal council? If he doesn't, does he do they get like left back at camp and sent with him? Do they end up getting rehidden as the hidden immunity sneakers? I don't know. <laughs> the hidden immunity sneakers. Um, you know how the the idols this season they're trying to make more like uh, they could be fake idols um, or something that was crafted. Maybe that's where we go. What if you put them as like clothing items, sort of like horcruxes or something like that? And then this is like, can you imagine being out in the woods and then finding a pair of shoes up in a tree? Be like, yeah. No, you find a pair of socks that have like a little design uh, on them that look like uh, immunity idols. There we go. And you only find one sock and somebody else can find the other sock. And if you combine them, it makes super <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And you have to button them together. Right. Of course. 
Exactly. Uh, Final thing I want to point out here, and it's small, but it's beautiful. Jess, Buffer Snuff, Tom Laidlaw, and the Pink Flower. 100% buff. That's an easy look to pull off. It's elegant. It's a classic for a reason. Yeah, I I completely agree. A buff on this one. I think he just looks, he looks adorable. I would ask him to prom. Yeah, it's a nice pop of color. And look, you can even uh, adjust your buff if you ask him to prom, Liana, since he's a dad. Mm hmm. Aw. It's just like, I, because, I, oh, didn't, uh, didn't Rob ask him that in the exit interview? I feel like I heard somewhere the story behind the flower. Um, yeah. It was, well, there was like a secret scene a couple of weeks ago where, like, I think it was, I want to say Karishma found them or something. Mm-hmm. And then they all, like, Elizabeth had one, Missy had one, and then they put one in Tom's hair, and then they all started doing the hula. So again, this is Lyra for you. It's cute. It's a good look. A lot of dancing, of course. Yeah. I buff it as well. I think that, uh, you know, it stands out. I'm happy that Tom was able to get it perched behind his ear because there's not much hair to stick it in. Uh, but I think that, you know, Tom was able to show uh, he, he's in touch with, uh, you know, the, the more natural side of his. And it really matches Elizabeth's socks as well. So, <laughs> yes, very floral and pattern. I love it. Yeah. Athletes got to stick together there. Uh, yeah. So. We have sufficiently buffed her stuff a lot. I'm very intrigued to see where the journeys of Dean's shoes will take us, if Tommy's straw hat will break, and what other felt-like apparel we will see over the course of the season. <laughs> felt-like apparel. Um, okay. Uh, so, I want to get into our next activity, and that is Mad Libs. So, it was mentioned uh, that Jason uh, was going to prom with Dan, of course, as the dad. Uh, Tommy makes the joke about him not being able to find a date, which he was voted out pre-merge, so undateable, um, which Tommy Tommy called. Um, But I thought it could be fun if we write our own version of Survivor Prom. Okay, so I will be asking the two of you to give me words uh, spelled correctly or incorrectly. You'll never know because I'm writing them down here. Um, And then uh, we will tell the story of Survivor Prom. So we have all of the pre-prom stuff, and then we're going to get into actual prom night. Okay. Is like is is the prom like the merge? That's the big event you're building towards. I guess so. Uh, these aren't. There's nothing really Survivor about these, apart from the fact that it's going to be Survivor castaways that are in the <laughs> in prom. Um, although you could you could potentially make it more Survivor themed. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the the blanks are like an island of the idle castaway. So just be prepared to um, list off a number of people. Okay, so let's just get right into it. Uh, so Mike, we'll start with you. I need a number. 69. Yeah. Uh, Jess, a verb ending in ing. Uh, waiting. Um, okay. I need three Island of the Idol castaways. All right. Give me Chelsea. Let's go Jamal. And let's go Karishma. Okay. Uh, all right. I need a noun. Uh, shoe. <laughs> okay. Um, I need another noun. Frame. Uh, and f- one more noun. Bamboo. Okay. Um, Mike, I need a decorative item. Oh, uh, earrings. Uh, a beverage. Wait. You, you want to change is, it? Is, no, is that a decorative item? I, you know what? I, I sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, but like it's this fine. Is, this is member of your family mailman all over again, isn't it? 
<laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Family member, mailman. <laughs> um, nice. let's see. Okay, so um, I need a beverage. Ginger ale. Uh, and food. Pork rinds. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. Let's see. Uh, a verb. Run. A uh, island of the idle castaway. Let's go with Jack. Uh, another island of the idle castaway. Uh, Janet. Oh yes. Um. Okay. I need a location. Pluto. Um, an animal. Giraffe. Oh, just like the tattoo. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. Uh, a song title. Uh, uh, one, two step. <laughs> uh, a noun. Table. Okay, great. Okay. Here we go. So let's learn about what happened before the prom. Okay. It was 69 months before prom and everybody oh, wow. was They're preparing really really far, <laughs> away. Really far away. And everybody was waiting about it. Chelsea, Jamal, and Karishma were the heads of the prom planning committee and still needed to decide on a theme. What about a shoe theme? Chelsea suggested. <laughs> no, that's stupid, Jamal replied. We should do a frame theme. You're <laughs> both wrong. Let's do a bamboo theme, exclaimed Karishma. All three castaways agreed. Yay, a bamboo themed prom. <laughs> we can decorate with earrings and serve ginger ale and pork rinds. <laughs> oh, God, this sounds terrible. Yeah. Worst prom ever. This is like a, this is a survivor reward gone yeah, wrong. Really. Yeah, I just now I'm just imagining bamboo like nailed to the wall with earrings hanging from it. <laughs> with pork rinds, the food and ginger ale. I feel like I'm at Brooklyn Flea. Oh um, okay, now that we have that settled, we just need to find chaperones," said Jamal. So they ran over to Boston Rob and Sandra's office slash snug. Hey, we'll be a chaperones. But better not be like those Harvard parties, Boston Rob responded. Meanwhile, Jack was busy planning his promposal for Janet. He surprised, <laughs> he surprised Janet at Pluto and released giraffes while the song One Two Step played on the jukebox. <laughs> Will you go to prom with me was spelled out in tables on the ground. Yes, Janet exclaimed. I will go to prom with you. Ah, that's so sweet. And that's all I have. That's the end of the story. Wait, this is the best that was beautiful. promposal I think I've ever heard of Jack being like, hold on, Janet, we gotta go to Pluto. <laughs> my promposal. I like that he surprised her at Pluto and released giraffes. She was already right, there. Exactly. Yeah, she was there. Like he went to surprise her there. <laughs> Though he's a little inhumane that he released a bunch of giraffes on Pluto to the tune of one two step. <laughs> it's a really big Sierra fan. I don't know. I just oh, I'm I'm shipping Jack and Janet right now. Oh Listen, I, I'm all for like the May November of it all. Oh my gosh, I know it's so cute. They're a really good couple. <laughs> okay, all right, let's get into 
our actual story. So first, we're going to fill in the blanks. Um, so, Mike, I need a mode of transportation. Rickshaw. Uh, another mode of transportation. Roller skates. Uh, okay. Um, uh, Island of the Idols contestant. Let's go with Elaine. Uh, okay, a song. Baby Shark. Aww. Oh, no. Um, okay, a verb ending in ED. Uh, rustled. <laughs> um, an Island of the Idols contestant. Um, Kelly. Uh, another Island of the Idols contestant. Let's go with Nora. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. Sorry, there's like some I have to fill in. Uh, okay, Island of the Idols contestant. Tommy. Okay. Um, uh, da, da. I need a Sandra quote. Uh, go into the ocean and wash your ass. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Island of the Idols contestant. <laughs> yeah. Another one. I know we're almost at the end of the cast. <laughs> running out of people. You can reuse people from the first uh, the first story if you'd like. Um, let's go with Lauren. Okay, uh, a beverage. Uh, Gak. Gak? No, it's not a What's beverage. Gak? Uh, it's a Nickelodeon slime. Oh, uh, I don't okay. know why I thought of that. Yeah. Maybe it says too much about my child. Okay, all right. <laughs> Slash Nickelodeon slime. <laughs> um, a verb ending in ing. Skipping. Uh, time of day. Four twenty. Yeah, buddy. Missy knows that what that's about. <laughs> Four twenty, blaze it. Um, two Island of the Idols contestants. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, we've we've used up all of them. Um let's go with uh Dan and Vince. Okay. And finally a restaurant. Ooh, uh let's go with Golden Corral. Yeah. <laughs> all righty. Okay, here is our story. It was finally here. Prom night. The castaways started arriving in their transportation of choice. Limos, rickshaws, or even in roller skates. It's time to party. Jack and Janet are dancing to Baby Shark while Elaine rustled on the dance floor. All of a sudden, oh, no. <laughs> I don't know what that means. All of a sudden, a commotion erupts. Kelly was supposed to be my date to the prom, Nora yelled. Well, she asked me, so suck it up, buttercup, Tommy responded. Whoa. You slut, Nora screamed, <laughs> lunging to tear Tommy's dress. Chaperone Sandra ran over, yelling, go into the ocean and wash your ass before breaking up the fight. Me me meanwhile, Lauren poured a mysterious liquid from a flask into the punch. She spiked the punch with Gak. Oh, no, God. <laughs> oh, God. 
The night of raucous skipping continued until 420. Dan and Vince won prom king and queen and the the entire school went to Golden Corral for a post-prom meal. Oh, ew. <laughs> I don't end. know what's worse, the Gax Spike Ginger Ale or Golden Corral. Yeah, that's pretty gross. Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, the uh the the ginger ale and the pork rinds. <clears throat> uh Did you just imagine like drinking ginger ale and just getting this like nearly solid blob ew. in it? Yeah. Be very ew. obvious. <laughs> like, that's not part of the bamboo theme. You know, let's talk about the fact that the preparation took 69 months and they prepared a prom more than five years out. <laughs> they were just really excited about prom. Oh, wow. my gosh. I didn't, I didn't realize. I mean, I guess Tommy now has the dress, the prom dress to match his son hat. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently. I mean, oh, my gosh. Like the Nora Tommy fight, um, which we might actually see. Um pretty crazy Ooh, tommy's so mad he's so, he's so mad i don't know but look kelly asked tommy okay so uh <laughs> and yeah so what so what did nora is this nora just being nora and she assumed that she was going with kelly <laughs> yeah right she just thought that that was going to be the case uh despite you know no one telling her um yeah yeah kelly uh you have to agree before yeah. i ask something of you you have to agree unanimously for a position for an event that you don't necessarily know about that I will accompany and then, you to. And, and then I will tell you about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something we've been planning for 69 months, but you don't know about yeah. it. Also, I wonder if it was 420 in the morning or 420 in like, or like, you know, the, the night slash afternoon. I wonder. Yeah. Uh, what's, what time do you think it started? If yeah. that's the case, if it took, if it stopped at 420 PM. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's a, it's a bamboo theme, uh, I don't know why that has to be done during the day. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, Dan and Vince being prom king and queen is uh, makes sense. Um, I would love to see their first dance aw. to probably Baby Shark. <laughs> baby Shark, yeah. Uh, I think, uh, oh ro- yeah, remind me to take a rickshaw next time I, I ever go to a prom. <laughs> I don't know. Why. I don't know. Roller skate sounds much more awesome, especially if you do uh, partake in some of the gack beforehand. Yeah, that's very true. Yak into yak. Uh, well, before we, we start finishing things off, I, I do want to take some time to address something. And look, uh, you know, I, I don't know how much we want to necessarily talk about the Jamal and Jack conversation just because it has been talked about a lot, understandably so. And I also acknowledge that we are not necessarily able to speak to that experience that Jamal has undergone every day. I think Davey did a fantastic job of discussing that on his podcast with Rob. So I really recommend people checking it out, but I want to talk about it. We are recording this about a day or so after news has unfortunately broken of the passing of the great Rudy Bosch. And to connect it all, I know that the Jack and Jamal situation is obviously like apples and oranges from the partnership that Rudy had fostered with Richard Hatch, but it's been a weird circuitous week for survivor. Because both of those pairings and both of those storylines and both of those scenes just sort of remind me of the power of the show, as weird as that is. And look, this is a goofy, stupid, silly podcast. So I know it's a little weird to take a hard left turn here with our rickshaw slash roller skates. But I want to pay this scene, you know, some mind. Because Survivor, at its core to me, are people building a society. And sometimes like we see with Richard Hatch and like we saw with the scene, we see some of the inherent biases that are built within our society 
off of the island. In this case, it's highlighting things like microaggressions. In Richard's case, it was the current attitude towards homosexuality at a time where people were not necessarily out and proud. And in both cases, it's real people having tough conversations. I'm so happy the show took the time to emphasize it. Yes, we might not have gotten some specific reasoning as to why Jason had to leave the Survivor prom early, but I was so happy this was shown. And it resonated even more so with Rudy's passing, knowing that this is something that makes Survivor so profoundly special, in my opinion, even two decades in, is yes, the show has become very different from those initial days, considering that now we have people visiting two legends of the game on giants, you know, an island with giant statues of their heads competing for advantages in challenges. But then you have moments like this that remind us at the end of the day, we're watching people out there. It really means a lot to me. I know it's meant so much to the community, just a reminder of the sociological implications and beauty a game like survivor can have yeah i mean for me so there was a quote that i wrote down that jamal said and it was you know that essentially he had to let stuff roll off his shoulders for his own upward mobility and that's something that i see more frequently than i would care to admit in my career um you know where you have to like just put up with stuff in order to uh you know in order to make it you know and to in order to be successful you know i mean especially my personal experiences are you know as a woman in a male dominated field um you know i see the women ahead of me who have been successful essentially just deal with all the like sexist bullshit that they have to put up with and so it was and 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 that's the thing is that it's microaggressions right and that's really what this conversation was all about i mean uh, and, and multiple things as well in terms of like race and privilege but um but those like little things that you know even Jamal said, like, some people may not think that this is a big deal. It's like, but this is a big deal. You know, racism still 100% exists. It's, you know, in these little moments. And so to one, have the discussion, which like props to Jamal for doing props to Jack for listening, because that's also, you know, another side of that coin. Um, you have to be receptive to to learning about things like this. But then, yeah, to the editors for showing this moment, it was just so so awesome like i mean it was just so aware and thoughtful this like nuanced discussion of of microaggressions i was very much here for it um so i, I will add to pretty much everybody else i know talking about how great this is um but i i completely agree very happy yeah i don't know what else i can add to the conversation that hasn't already been there but i did want to highlight i think a lot of conversation around microaggressions and around like kind of unconscious racial bias i think you have people that feel like they if they're just you know if if everybody out there is secretly thinking of them as racist then they're already screwed and they can't learn and they can't grow and there there's nothing they can do to really mitigate their point of privilege and so you have people that are like well i might as well not even try and i think watching jamal and jack have this conversation where Jack understands what he said that was wrong and he apologizes for it. And then he listens and he processes everything that's been said to him. And then he learns from it and moves on. It's like, that's all it has to be. Yeah. You listen 
you understand what you've said, you understand what you need to do differently and you move on and it's not the end of the world. Like people aren't going to blast you for being terrible because you weren't terrible. You didn't know and now you do. And I thought that was just such a great way to frame it. And it says that you just have to be aware and you have to listen and you have to do better if you do something that has offended somebody. That's that's all it that's all you have to do is just be receptive and listen. And the more reception and listening there is in the world, the better. And I think what also really benefits this scene is I think both people on both sides just did a really great job. Not necessarily in their behavior, obviously Jack is was completely in the wrong with what he did, but in terms of handling it, like you said, Jess, you know, I think it's been talked about a lot in terms of like I've seen some comparisons between this scene and like rice wars the infamously i would say probably my least favorite survivor episode of all time from redemption island and i think that i don't know if i would say the show got lucky but i think this scene really benefited from the fact that on one side you have jamal who we talked about before is just very measured in the way that he speaks and he did such a a great job of really expressing like you said some very nuanced ideas that exist in our society every day and then on the other side you have someone like jack who is the nicest kid you could meet and was so receptive and open and honest about the very clear mistake he was making compare that to you know i don't think philip shepherd and steve wright can have the same conversation you know and, and that's why i would also say there has been definitely some comparisons between this scene and big brother of like big brother could never and there are a number of reasons why, one of them being maybe production doesn't like to bring it up. But also, I do not think you could have a Jack Matthews or a Jackson Mickey respond to this very important and very complex conversation in the way that Jack did. So I think that the conversation and it being a learning moment just benefited so well from both the people sort of talking through the process and i think that speaks once again towards the strength of this cast like i I said before i think this is a group of really great storytellers and while this is a very different story than what we're used to on survivor uh it's something that was really helpful here in being able to explain such a complicated yet necessary issue Mm -hmm. yeah i completely agree all right well let's move into the final segment of each and every week here on the bnb the question of the week we're going back to the Aaron well here and saying you have to wear one piece of clothing on survivor with a person's face on it. What is it? And who do you pick as always? We'll read through all of your suggestions and then we'll talk about our own first from Ty. though. This may be completely impractical. I would wear a Cape with Johnny Depp's face from Charlie and the chocolate factory in challenges. When I look back to see where the other team is, I may instead see Johnny Depp's horrifyingly creepy face from the movie. As a result, I will be encouraged not to worry about the other team, but instead run faster as to escape the pale, chilling face of Depp as Wonka. Likewise, if Survivor ever returns to Southeast Asia for a season, Tigers always surprise attack their prey from behind. If I have faces on both sides of my body, I will be immune to tiger attacks. Is that the creepiest he's looked in a movie? Is Ooh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Question. You know, because like he's played a lot of crazy characters, right? So I wonder if I mean, because the Edward Scissorhands one would be pretty creepy, um, but the the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory one is pretty terrifying. I would go with I would actually go with Wilder Wonka on the back mm. of my cape. You're talking about like Wilder Wonka, like mid tunnel. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wilder Walk and Mid Tunnel is way creepier than anything Johnny Depp yeah, that Yeah, that's true. That was that, that actually that scene scared me as a child and still as an adult. Well, yeah, because has like chickens with their heads getting cut off and like slugs crawling all over people's faces. Yeah, it's weird. Heather G from Tempe says, "If I ever get on Survivor, I would wear a shirt that has my corgi, Professor Plum, on it. By the way, that's the cutest name for a dog. Who doesn't love corgis?" Their proportions make no sense. And yes, this shirt is already in existence. <gasps> oh, that's so cute. I hope it's on a purple shirt that would match the Professor Plum. But oh my gosh, can you imagine dressing up the corgi? Heather, please dress up your corgi. Give him a little monocle and like <laughs> and, yeah. a notable hat, a little purple. Like, I know ha- Halloween's a little, it's a little late, but you know what? You, there's no, uh, there's no end date when it comes to dressing up your dog in cute outfits. That is so adorable. That's evergreen. Logan says, I've already said it to my family. It's decided. I'm wearing my SpongeBob SquarePants socks and T-shirt because I'm ready. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That would be I am. Plus, they are like they already have them, right? You could. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine going like completely in all SpongeBob SquarePants attire? Like, I'm no. Are you talking about like all SpongeBob? Well, oh, so you're talking about like wearing stuff with SpongeBob SquarePants on it. I thought you're talking about cosplaying as SpongeBob Ah, SquarePants. uh, No, that was not what I thought of. (gasps) Could you? Could you? Could that be your uh, like outfit? A cosplay outfit? I mean, not necessarily SpongeBob SquarePants, but like as anybody. Hmm. (gasps) Maybe that's That's what Elaine is doing. She's cosplaying as Boston Rob. I mean, that would put Davey to shame. I know that he has his cosplay game unlocked, but I don't think he's ever brought it out to Survivor. Maybe if he had more time ahead of, uh, ahead of David versus Goliath, he would have done that if he had 69 months. Exactly. That's I 100% expect that Davey tried to cosplay on Survivor and they, they think, shut it down. Maybe. Hmm. That'd be so sad. I can see it. Instead of making fake idols, he's like uh, making outfits. Yes, right. Exactly. Andrew Cordry says, yep. I'd have a pic of Bryce Isaiah looking excited on my overly revealing purple boxer briefs, because though I almost certainly wouldn't do well in the game, I'd at least up my chances of making it onto the zaddy calendar. <laughs> That's smart. That's like the game within the game within the game. <laughs> well, so I'm looking at I'm looking at that meme of like the guy um, getting like more and more enlightened. <laughs> and I feel like there's like playing to win the million dollars, playing to get asked back for another season. Uh, playing to be a frequent guest on RHAP, and then the last one, the most enlightened one, is playing to get on the Zaddy calendar. <laughs> the true well, prize. I, I, like the, I like this idea because it seems like what Andrew's alluding to is he'd wear purple boxer briefs, then have a shirt with Bryce, like, looking down as if he was looking at the boxer briefs. jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's sort of like a, a sexy I'm with stupid t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Jonathan Troyer says, I would wear a shirt with pictures of D.V. Cooper on it. So if someone recognizes him, that mystery will finally be solved. Oh, my God. That's so random. I love it. The only thing I can think of, though, is that movie like Bigfoot versus D.B. Cooper. Um, Oh, yeah. The uh, the, from the people who made Santa Summerhouse. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That wonderful film that I had to watch. Um, So that's all I can think of. Yeah, I would say like you could do that with like the Zodiac Killer and try to go for some sort of weird entrapment. Maybe that's the Galaxy Brain meme is like trying to catch an elusive criminal while uh, while in the game. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the game within the game within the game within the game. <laughs> Jen says I would put the face of Hunted's Mary Scott Valentine on my socks because I want CBS to bring Hunted back and I want justice for Mary Scott. 
Liana, do we even remember what Mary Scott Valentine looks like, or has, has her name defined, def, uh, you know, defied her image? Yeah, I think definitely her name defines her image. I think she had dark hair. I, I, like, to be 100% honest, I have no idea. Um, that was, like, almost three years ago now. Was it oh really? God. Wait, when did I do... That was I almost, do... like, half, half a prom planning yes. period oh, ago. Yes, because So You Think You Can Podcast was three years ago this year. So, uh, so yeah, you could plan two-thirds of a prom in that time. Uh, let's go with John Tinkham says if i ever went on to survivor i'd wear this david boreanis collage t-shirt which only sets you back 24.99 that is far less than anything dan rengering is putting out there <laughs> yeah exactly it doesn't say f fake friends um yeah oh my gosh it's amazing i love this t-shirt i love david boreanis he's amazing um i'm a huge boreanis stan i can't tell if he made this shirt or if it's a legitimate thing <laughs> I mean, it's 24. Oh, you think like, uh, like he made it? Uh, yeah. Oh, and then it like just went to like cafe to press and just threw some David. It's like legitimately who the hell would wear this? Uh, me as the biggest David Boreanaz stan in the entire world. If that one uh, David Boreanaz stan who blocked me on Twitter is listening, I love David Boreanaz. Um, so yeah, uh, it's great. Oh, boy. well, Parker Schimler says to honor the greatest Rob to play Survivor and not win, I would wear a mask of Rob Zabachnik. Jess, how are you feeling about masks on Survivor? I don't think you should be allowed to wear masks on Survivor. I think you need to have your face visible. I feel like production would shut that down. <laughs> I wonder if that's too far in the cosplaying realm, you know, that Davey wasn't yeah. allowed to do. Yeah, if Davey's not allowed to bring his King Ezekiel outfit. Onto Survivor. I don't think you're allowed to bring a Rob Zabachnik mask. Who would you? Why would you even want a Rob Zabachnik mask? <laughs> it's really creepy. I mean, is there like a really big mouth hole so you can stick your finger in it? <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be insane. It comes with pre cut foot from Stingray. <laughs> uh, Catherine Bedemian says, I would have this picture of Galadriel on my clothing and I'd recite her speech twice a day. Instead of a dark lord, you would have a queen. Not dark, but beautiful and terrible as the dawn. All shall love me and despair. It's a picture of like a very demonic looking Galadriel from the Lord of the Rings films. <laughs> yeah, that'll help with your social game. <laughs> like that, weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're speaking in Elvish. Right, exactly. I mean, that would be, you know, it's a language barrier issue. I see. Yeah, you don't understand. I was speaking to you in Elvish. That's how I tipped you off that the blind see, side was coming. I didn't on. lie to you. I just told you in the Klingon, okay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Only Sauron can judge me. Uh, <laughs> Elizabeth says, I would definitely have pictures of my cat on all my clothing. Plus, no one would need to sign any release for me to use their likeness on the show. And then my cat is going to be my loved one. The <gasps> Jeff will walk her out on a leash. See a previous question of the week. Oh, that's so cute. I tried to put my cat on a leash once. I think you have to do them like train them when they're little because my cat did not like it. Well, yeah, I don't think you can suddenly like put a cat in a leash and be like, great, uh, now you're tied to me, so this is normal now. <laughs> yeah, she like, didn't like the weight of the leash, um, so that was like a really big deal. She just kind of freaked out. I, I do like this idea, though, of like, I mean, I guess, would it be like a foreshadowing of who's coming out there? Do you think production would allow that? Like, do they want more of a genuine surprise and reaction? Or would they rather have you like, insert an easter egg as to the person that's going to be out there if you make it that far 
Yeah, that's a good point. Like, if is it a spoil? You know, spoiler alert. <laughs> my cat's my loved one. Um, yeah, I don't know. Not entirely sure. Dan Sinensky says I'd wear a buff with a tribe mate's face on it and use it as a disguise sometimes. Looking forward to doing the Spider-Man point and saying, <laughs> vote them out. They're the imposter. I'm the real blank. So this is a different take on the mask, Jess. This is, I'm going to dress up like one of my tribe members so then I can pretend to be them and do silly things. Yeah, but how would you get that buff made? Like, when would that well, happen? <laughs> uh, I guess if you're going back, I guess maybe Rob and Sandra could coordinate something like that. They're going out there and like, they show up and like, Sandra's got like a Danny Boatwright face on her buff or something like that. But I, uh, there's no other circumstance under which you'd be able to do that. Well, I think, uh, I think if you see them at the finals in LA and then you just sort of like, you know, you take a gamble, you pick somebody that you think is also going to get cast and then like fingers crossed, you hope that, that it's them, I guess. <laughs> your, your job is to, make a buff with someone's face on it going into the game and if you look like them you get an idol in your bag <laughs> but you have to do it all before this timer runs out of sand <laughs> so you better draw the picture fast yeah. I guess if you were also doing like a, another second chances thing where you sort of know the cast beforehand mm -hmm. you could do that right yeah or if you think it's like oh maybe I'm on a fans v favorites season you know so <laughs> yeah well I guess the question is you know if you are dressing up like someone else like are you doing that to escape the vote are you doing that to sabotage them what's the best way that you because i feel like you could only get away with it once maybe twice yeah well if my the first thing that popped in my head was like oh you can go look for idols and then it's like oh so and so is looking for idols but i think that really just benefits the person who you're trying to impersonate because then it's like oh they're not looking for idols they're at camp <laughs> um yeah exactly so, like you're allowing them to be two places at once right yeah although i guess then you still find the idol for you it's not like if you find it as the other person you have to <laughs> bequeath them the idol because it well, doesn't well jason you, you did find the idol but you were impersonating dan so technically <laughs> yeah. it's dan's idol so therefore it's dan's idol officially um uh but yeah or uh yeah or oh you know what you could do you could be like a real jerk to everybody and then it's like, oh, look, see, like, you know, Jason was the jerk here. Got to vote him out. Um, so, uh, yeah, get get under everybody's skin as the other person. That's what you could do. Mm, that, that could work. Finally, John John says to make a Renap shout out, I would want to wear either a leprechaun shirt or a leather jacket from the take on me video. Uh, John John, one is much more obscure than the other. I will admit <laughs> That leather jacket could be anybody's jacket. Somebody'd be like, "Well, why are you wearing a Negan uh, jacket?" Didn't uh, the wrestler Slamtown man? Didn't he have John? Yeah, John yes. Hennigan had a Welcome to Slamtown. Oh leather yeah, jacket. yeah. Didn't it have his own face on the I back? It, of it no, or it was. Uh, I don't think it was his face, but it, yeah, it said it was, Slam like Welcome to Slamtown or think, something, right on the back, or like Mayor of Slamtown. I think. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Oh man, yeah, it was like spray painted in the style that you find at the boardwalk on those T-shirts that are really ugly. Um. Yeah, yep. yeah. I think the leprechaun shirt is where it's at. I mean, unless, like we talked about with uh, Jess wanting to pull from, you know, uh, everyone doing Seku Bunch cosplay. Uh, mm. If you want to do like a, a very uh, under the radar reference to a very under the radar episode of a podcast, I think that would be the way to go instead of something as overt as a leprechaun shirt. <laughs> yeah, uh, what would be what would be that reference? I don't even know. 
Well, I feel like I feel like already you roll out to Survivor and you have a you have a tiny bell tattooed on the inside of your wrist. Everybody knows you're an RHAP person if they mm-hmm. recognize. I was it. gonna say. So, Jess, have you sabotaged your chances of ever going out there now officially? I'm pretty sure that ship sailed a long time ago, but if it hadn't, then it definitely has <laughs> that now. That rickshaw has sailed a while ago. Well, just if you did have that opportunity to go out there and you have to wear someone's face on a piece of clothing, what are you picking personally? Uh, personally, I would get socks, but one sock would have Rob Sesternino and one sock would have Stephen ah, Fishback. I like that. Then they'd call you Fishback. <laughs> right, or fish right. Socks. Fish socks. Um, do you think they'd know? Yeah, some people would know for sure who it was. <laughs> like, I know who you are. I feel like it's it's very subtle virtue signaling. People look at it and they're like, oh, yeah, she's an RGP person. Um, yeah, I uh, so my first thought was I'd have my own face. And just because I don't know, that seems like fun. Or, you know, you really you have this as an opportunity to tell something about yourself. So like mm-hmm. Gandhi, perhaps, um, would be a good, you know, to just say or, 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 you know, I don't know, like someone who won the Nobel Peace Prize. Right. It's just like, look, I'm like a chill person you know right um i think is that, is that the image that gives off <laughs> yeah right it's like oh they have a picture of gandhi on their shirt like <laughs> i want to work with them um but i think what would be funnier is i want to do it on either if they give them swimsuits a swimsuit or a bra but i want to put like little jeff Probst faces <laughs> mm. <laughs> like on each uh where my nipple would be um and that's <laughs> that's what i would pick <laughs> like just two little jeff Probst faces i think that would be hilarious little jeff Probst nipples <laughs> is what you're suggesting yes Yikes. Oh boy. I actually had thought about little little Jeff Probst, uh, but I don't know if I would put them in those areas. What I ultimately settled on was I was inspired by the great Kirk Connor in that look. There is always a stigma against people who come out there in suit jackets. Jason himself even told me, he's like, you know what? I know that as soon as I came out there in a sports jacket on the first day, people were already targeting me or had making assumptions about me. So I figured let's go all in. Let's make a full three-piece suit, but on it, all of the David Boreanaz collage is <laughs> all the celebrity Survivor super fans because it's a way to sort of pander off camera as well of like, look, Sia's giving away money. Like, who's to say Adam Scott won't like give me a role in something? Who's to say Megan Mullally won't throw some spare change my way? Or Jenna Fisher will help me guest on the Office Ladies podcast. So it's a good way to sort of like uh, look you know, I guess uh, sort of dress down, ironically enough, the dressing up of the full suit while simultaneously trying to reach outside the camera to Hollywood. Mm, I like that. Uh, uh, the first thing I thought of was uh, Martunis, however you say his name. Yeah. Matt Anus from, uh, uh, <laughs> from Survivor South Africa. But uh, the, the twist of the picture is, you know, obviously that uh, that really hammers home the idea. Like, who knows who you could get money from? Yeah, like you need to look as goofy as possible uh, if you really want to come across as maybe that's sort of the chill look, not the Gandhi on your nipples, uh, but more so just like the goofy suit. I think Gandhi on your nipples would be a great band name. <laughs> yeah, maybe they played the prom. They played, yeah, they played at Survivor Prom. <laughs> that's because they had 69 months to, to get them. They're a big deal. Yeah, they booked G on my N. Uh, all right. This next week's question of the week. I'm so intrigued. When Jeff was setting up the survivor scenario and how apparently everyone has donuts when they watch Survivor. So next week's question of the week is what is the optimal snack 
to have while watching Survivor. We're taking a page out of Haley Strong's book and going to snack chat here to see if Jeff has his finger on the pulse of the viewing audience and how many people actually do have donuts while they watch Survivor. Yeah, that was really weird. I mean, I'm excited to talk about it next week, but like, oh, of of course, Jeff. <laughs> and, and Jeff didn't make a reference to a giant plate of bacon. <laughs> I think he's trying to distance himself from that, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe yeah. there's a, a lot of a uh, lot of strange stuff that got affiliated with two and a half men. So he, he will not touch that with a 10 foot pole of bacon. You have a number of ways you can contact us with the answer to this question. You can always tweet at us using hashtag RHAPBNB. You can email us RHAPBNB at gmail.com or respond to the post on any number of outlets. We will get into it next week. And it seems like we are wrapping up the pre-merge. We're going to bring back. Great guest, L.A. comedian Mary Holland will make a return to the B&B to talk through episode seven, which should certainly look interesting. Looks like a very emotional episode based on what the previews are telling us. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot to get into for the moment. Jess, this was so much fun to have you back here on the B&B, whether it be judging tattoos planning a prom and everything in between for those people who want to check out more of what you're doing right now currently in their earbuds uh or online what can what how can they uh find that um well you can always follow me on twitter at haymaker hattie and i you know that's what twitter's for is the self-promotion but you can find me talking about the walking dead with josh wiggler every week uh, we usually drop the episodes on tuesday mornings and we've been having a lot of fun it's a great season so if you are at all if you at all have any kind of affinity for zombies and zombie shows i think you'll have a good time listening to us and i also have been writing some feature articles over on primetimer.com and as we speak the most recent thing that dropped there is um an exploration into uh, the episode of television that most terrorized me as a child. Mm. <laughs> and so you can revisit some great childhood trauma uh, with me. If you were of a certain age, you probably watched a particular episode of Webster. And that's what I wrote about. It was a lot of fun. And then I have coming up, I think next week, um, I did a breakdown of the top 10 best characters portrayed by Kate McKinnon on Saturday Night Live. So look forward to that as well. Oh, my goodness. Now I'm so intrigued. I mean, I know Liana had the Wonka Tunnel. but I don't know what what your Wonka Tunnel is besides <laughs> Webster. <laughs> my Wonka Tunnel is Webster setting fire to the family apartment. Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I think Boss and Ron might have had a competitor there in Emmanuel Lewis. Yeah, really. Yeah, I mean, you two are too young to remember this, but I had nightmares about it for literal years. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't say that my trauma from Willy Wonka was as deep-seated as that. Well, Liana, it's been a long, cold couple of weeks without the mass Singer in our lives, but... I hear it and your podcast is soon to be returning. Yes, indeed. So the mass Singer was put on a brief hiatus for the World Series, but now that's over and we're going to be back this Wednesday with a double episode of the mass Singer. Um, so two hours. Um, it's going to be uh, a ton of fun and I'm really excited to uh, get back to podcasting about it. It's been far too long. Um, so Puya and I will be, uh, like I said, getting back together to talk about this double episode of all the craziness two singers will be unmasked um so very much looking forward to that yes and i can't wait to get into the podcast as well do you feel like the break has either 
uh, giving you a breath of fresh air when it comes to taking this in? Or is it one of those things of like, oh, crap, uh, the momentum is lost. I've completely forgotten who I thought these people were. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a little bit more of the latter. Um, I think, uh, and not the one that Boston Rob had. Um, it's it's a little bit of wind out of the sails, I think. But coming back with a double episode, I think it's going to be, you know, we'll get right back into it. Oh, yes, this is where we are. Um, you know, we'll get our theories on. Um, oh, uh, another thing not related to uh, the Mass Singer. But if you have hot takes for RAA and AP, uh, get those in because that podcast may be happening very soon. Ooh, so maybe a hot takes it should be something a Renat preference that John John can also wear to the island. <laughs> yeah, right. Like just a like a quote printed. Do you think they'd allow you to have quotes? I mean, I don't see why not. If Mayor of Slamtown could be on a, yeah, well, a jacket, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that maybe it can't be like a sentence. Maybe it can only be a few words. Because mm, you could put a Gandhi quote, and then people will be like, "Wow, she's super chill." <laughs> exactly, the chillest person of all, <laughs> Mahatma Gandhi. You can always follow Liana at Liana Boris, L I A N A B O R A A S. I am at a Mike Bloom type. You can check out the weekly Exit Press I'm doing for this season of Survivor. I had a really nice talk with Jason where. He talked a bit about why he thought he went home. He told some very interesting stories, as I mentioned before, about his first couple days on the island, including a very chance run in with a black cat that almost was like the savior of his of his game at a certain point. Really interesting stuff from a really interesting guy. So be sure to check all that out. Of course, Josh Wiggler and I are going down the hatch every week on post show recaps. We have a near three hour podcast talking about whatever the case may be, which some may argue is one of the worst episodes of Lost. Jess, I know you have a couple of opinions about it. And we get into the good, the bad, and everything in between about that episode. Uh, also have some other stuff coming up in the hopper as well as the uh, fall turns to winter here. If you guys have any suggestions of games you want us to play, you can always tweet them at us or email us rhapbnb at gmail.com. We are receptive to any and all ideas. And thanks to you who suggested some fun buffer snuff things for us to uh, to talk about. So now I can never unsee Dean's unused sneakers and hopefully will for the rest of the season. That's going to do it for this week on the BNB. We'll be back next week with Mary Holland breaking down episode seven of Survivor Island of the Auto. Special thanks to Scott St. Pierre for editing all this behind the scenes. Paul Lawson, our head writer and Wolf from America for our theme song. Thank you all so much for listening. Jess, Liana, thank you both so much. We'll check you out at your next day. Mike and Liana, yeah, they're playing some games. You better pray to your mama that they're not super lame. And if that all sounds cool, I can tell you the name. It's the R-H-A-P-B-M-B. Mike and Liana, yeah, they're playing some games. You better pray to your mama that they're not super lame. That all sounds cool, I can tell you the name.